Good morning. If you'd like to turn with uh, and read along, it's uh, on page 1164 in the blue uh, Bibles in your chairs, or you can read it up above as well. I'll be reading out of Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach, God, uh, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just uh, rejoicing as well that in this place Christ is proclaimed, that uh, the word is not uh, minced or changed or uh, uh, deviated, that uh, our, our pastor is uh, listening to you for uh, words of uh, direction. And we just thank you for being in a place where, where uh, you are valued. And so, Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us to hear what it is that uh, you've put on our pastor to share and uh, just give him the words. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave and the team. So as we continue in our time in Philippians this morning in chapter 1, I want to take a moment and I want to think about history. At one point, much of the world, if not the entire world, thought that the earth was flat. They believe probably that you get to the end and you would just fall off. And as you can probably imagine, that probably gave many people some trepidation, knowing the uncertainty that would meet them as they got to the end. Also, in Canada recently, there have been a few pastors who have been put in prison, like the Apostle Paul, for violating public health orders. We don't need to go into details about whether we agree with everything that's taking place, but these brothers who are now in prison believe that God's people need to meet. They also believe that the government does not have a right to tell the church how God's people should meet. And so in Canada, freedoms are not the same as they are here for the church. And so these brothers are in jail. I do not think that arrests are coming in Vermont tomorrow. It could be, but as one of your pastors, I've had to consider, what would I do? Your elders, we have talked about this, and I believe these things that we do need to gather, that we do need to follow the Bible, that we don't 
always need to follow what the government says. But I have a job. I have a family that I need to provide for, to protect, to care for. I think with integrity that I would go to jail for you. And so I think today's passage will help us to see that even in difficult circumstances, it leads to gospel purpose of God's providence, which brings a gospel advancement through gospel proclamation, and it leads to gospel joy. So as we get started, what do you believe is worth suffering for? Many of you probably thought about your children, or your family, your spouse. What about falling off the face of the earth, or going to jail for the gospel? Let's pray, because these things are not easy. Father, in your word, it says from the Apostle Paul, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. And so, God, we acknowledge you're faithful. God, we ask that you'd sanctify us. We ask that you would help us to keep us blameless. The world that we live in is challenging. And so, God, in that, we ask that you would help us to rejoice. We ask that you would help us to rejoice even now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as a reminder, the Apostle Paul, he is currently in prison because of the gospel. And as we continue in the book of Philippians, we're going to continue to break this down in its logical parts in the context of a real circumstance that this man, Paul, is writing this letter to real people receiving the letter. There is context, there is logic that he is using to write to these people. And so last week, Eric reminded us that we will cultivate joy in Jesus together as God's people. He also said that Jesus will preserve us as we expect great things from God. Ultimately, our complete salvation and our deliverance from this difficult and challenging world we live in. And so today, the gospel purpose of God's providence brings gospel advancement through gospel proclamation, and it leads church to gospel joy. And so let's look at verse 12 again. God's purpose is gospel purpose through God's providence. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so Paul is taking a moment to remind them of the gospel purpose, that affectionately he calls them brothers. He says, I want you to know. Like parents, you tell your kids often, I want you to know I love you. 
Or your boss reminds you, I want you to know you need to get me that report before you leave for the end of the day. Or your mom reminds you, don't forget your grandmother's birthday is tomorrow. Don't forget to call her. I tell my mom all the time, I don't need reminders. I'm an adult and I'm a big boy, but I still forget. And so she still reminds me. Paul wants them to know. He's not just surviving by the gospel in prison. It is advancing. And the ultimate cause of his imprisonment is the gospel advancing. And it continues while he is in there. The gospel moves forward because of bad circumstances. Difficult circumstances. When the boiler goes out, or as our brother Eric has to deal with this morning, when the car breaks down, when I'm ridiculed because of my beliefs in Christ, when I'm not looked highly upon because I opened my mouth and I told somebody about the gospel, when I'm proclaiming Jesus, friends, the gospel moves forward. It always will. The question is, will we participate in what God is doing through us? Philippians 1.25, we'll see this next week. Paul says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Convinced of his place in the kingdom, his physical place in this jail, Paul is confident and we'll unpack this more next week, that even in our challenges, there is progress for the gospel, progress for the church, progress for our faith, progress for the kingdom, pulling back the darkness. Paul is not dwelling on the past. He's also not dwelling on his present situation. He's dwelling on what is to come in the future. With a proper gospel understanding, friends, all of our circumstances should lead us to contentment and joy. And my prayer is that Philippians will help us to understand this, that more and more that our confidence, that our, content, our contentment, and I think this is part of the reason why God led your elders to lead us through the book of Philippians through the fall. And I think we can all acknowledge that it is fairly easy to be a Christian in the United States right now, is it not? I'm not saying that it doesn't come with its challenges, but compared to the rest of the world, maybe you have considered what your brothers and sisters who are in Christ in Afghanistan have gone through lately. Our situation is fairly simple and easy. It may get worse. It may get worse in a year. It may get in 10 years. It may get worse in 100 years. Can we acknowledge we don't know? But friends, the gospel will move forward. And the question is, will we participate in what God is doing? Acts 1.8, you're familiar with this passage. He says, but you will, this is Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Christians in Acts are just like you and I. They didn't want to suffer. They got comfortable being in their nice little church in Jerusalem. 
And they kind of needed a kick in the pants to get out of the town, to go to their neighbors. And when the gospel left Jerusalem, it wasn't because a holy man who understood God's scripture says, I'm going to go tell my friends about Jesus. It was because of persecution. Acts 5, we see this, verse 40 and 41. After the apostles were arrested and they met with the religious leaders of the day. It says this, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And the text continues, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so the gospel, it moved out of Jerusalem. It would later move out of Judea and Samaria because of persecution. The gospel went to the ends of the earth. We see this in Acts chapter 28 where the Apostle Paul is now in prison. The place he is writing the letter to the Philippian church. God fulfilled his promises that the gospel would move forward. And Paul doesn't say, well, in spite of myself being in prison, that these things took place. He says, because of these events, the gospel advances. And Paul's private preferences, they did not matter. The gospel did. It was a springboard for our brother Paul to consider that difficulty was okay. Because the kingdom and the goodness that comes from it was coming through the circumstances as a result. And these were tangible. And Paul could see them. We see this in verse 13 and 14. He says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more, bold, much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the gospel advancement comes through gospel proclamation. It's for Christ, as Paul says. His imprisonment is for Christ. His circumstances are for Christ's name that Jesus' name would be renowned in all the world. It's not so Paul can post a selfie while he's in prison. Look at my prison cell. Isn't the gray really nice? Or, man, can you can believe this food that they give me? It's terrible. I haven't seen the sun in months, like we'll say in February. This is not about Paul, friends. It's about the gospel. As one commentator said, in his undesirable situation, the gospel spread through the ranks of the soldiers. They didn't just know he was a prisoner. They knew he was a prisoner for Christ. They knew he was a prisoner because of the work that he was doing for Christ even in the jail where he was because he continued to faithfully proclaim the gospel. And they knew his actions caused him to be in this situation where they found him. And so a question for us is, what are we known for? 
Are we known for what we are for or what we are against? Are we known for just attending here on a Sunday? Are we known for the scripture passages over our front door or in our social media posts? Not here, but many churches have what I like to call CEO Christians, where they're here on Christmas and Easter only. CEO Christians. Are we known for our boldness in proclaiming the gospel to all, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the outcome? Friends, this is hard. It's been almost a year and a half that our family has been here, and many around here know that I'm the pastor here at Cornerstone. And some are kind of shocked when I tell them that this is even a church building because they drive by too fast and they can't see this and read the sign. I don't think, though, that all that I run into know that this is a church or that I'm even the pastor here. And I say this to not beat myself up or beat us up in the process, but I say this hoping that God would spark a fire in us. That God would use the gospel as the only means of salvation that the world outside here who is dying can believe. It is through our mouth, friends, that people will come to know and believe the gospel. And part of Paul's suffering is not because he was a political or civil wrongdoer. Like many around our country that I ain't doing what they're asking me to do. Never will. I'm going to refuse. Friends, his imprisonment is for Christ. Because of his sufferings with Christ. And we'll see more of this in the next few weeks as we get into chapter 3. And we see in the text that this encouraged the church that was in Rome. These men and women who probably believed in Pentecost, who ended up taking the gospel themselves to Rome, had developed a church in the city of Rome. And they were encouraged as Paul joined them there. And so are we encouraged by our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for Christ? Do we even know their stories? Or do we come to the conclusion, wow, glad I don't have to suffer like them. I say that. I'm grateful that I don't have to suffer like them. But I'm encouraged here. And maybe we should start saying, God, would you give me the courage and the confidence that even in my suffering, I would proclaim the gospel. We can acknowledge that we need God's help in this. And so this church, they grow in their confidence in the Lord, their union with Christ. Nine times uh, the union of Christ, or being in Christ, is mentioned in the book of Philippians. And it's a means of strength, and it's a means of encouragement for this church. Kind of like a protective suit of some sorts, that we are in Christ and we can go in assurance, in confidence, that the gospel will spread through us. What can man do to us? We'll see what next week. Absolutely nothing. And so Paul, he addressed them as brothers again. The progress of the gospel is not for just those outside of the church. It's for those inside the church. It's for you and for me. 
and there's a, a fresh stimulus or courage within the church because of Paul's example of evangelism and the work of the gospel in and through him. The gospel captivated the non-believing members of this prison, but it also encouraged the believers in this church to keep going. Not all of the brothers, Paul says, were encouraged by his situation. And in chemistry, most of us took a chemistry and high chemistry class in high school. Some of you are might even be in one. Sometimes you need a catalyst to get two elements to work together. Sometimes it's another element. Sometimes it's things like heat, like Mentos. When you put them in Coca-Cola, what happens? It explodes. And we're not stopping to get Mentos and Coke on the way home, kids. Paul's situation was a catalyst for growth in the church by the gospel. It was also a catalyst for the gospel to spread to the world around them. Can we acknowledge that we all need the gospel? We preach Christ here. We preach the gospel here, and it's a safe place. I still haven't been yelled at for preaching the gospel in this building on a Sunday morning. It should encourage us. And I need the gospel just as much as you do. This stuff is hard. We can share. We can encourage each other with the gospel. When we don't believe the things in God's word, we can encourage and remind each other of the gospel. Because when we leave here, those folks out there, the world around us is a lot more hostile. They don't want to hear it. They will reject it. I personally, I like my comfort. I like my seven or so hours of sleep a night in my nice comfy bed with my family and a roof over my head. But when we open our mouth for the sake of the gospel for others, it may not always be comfortable. It may end up one day for Christians in this country lead to being in prison. Should we ask for suffering for the sake of the gospel? I don't really want to. But maybe we should. Because that shows that the gospel is actually moving forward. There's a recent book called The Insanity of God. It's a missionary who wrote this book, and he says this of persecution. He says, persecution stops immediately where there is no faith and when there is no witness. The reason for persecution then is that people keep finding Jesus and then they refuse to keep him to themselves. This author, he talks about how he is raising up missionaries and church planters in some very difficult parts of the world, like China and Africa. And when a prospective planter comes to him, he asks them one question. Have you been put in prison for sharing the gospel? And if he, they haven't, they are not considered worthy to plant a church yet. Think about that. We have it pretty good. But what are we known for? Do we suffer? Do we 
just open our mouth and share the gospel with others. That's the most important piece. And if suffering comes because of it, so be it. Friends, we have a fearless confidence in the gospel. We need the gospel to be fearless, though. Gospel advancement comes through gospel proclamation, and that comes through preaching. Let's look at verses 15 to 17. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So note these two different types of people who are preaching the gospel. They have opposite motives and attitudes, but they're doing the same thing. They are preaching the gospel. One group does things with envy, thinking that they're entitled to something. They're selfish, thinking of themselves. They do their preaching with pretense or an attempt to make something appear to be a certain way when it's really not that way. They want to inflict Paul. They want to hurt him. This type of preacher comes thinking, well, I'm better than Paul. He used a poor word choice there to give his example in his sermon. And it's easy for us to say, well, so-and-so is a better preacher than this other person. Because there are better preachers. There are also worse preachers. But you see what it does is it feeds envy. It feeds rivalry. And there's rivalry preaching where my church is better than that church. Or my preaching is better. Why don't you come to my church? There's selfish preaching. Came, come make my pews and my seats more full. Or give to my church to make our bank account look better. Make my church, or maybe even the preacher, look better than they really are. These things, friends, hurt churches. And so may that never be so here. You should not be following a man. But you should follow the God-man, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and follow his word. There's this other type of preacher. Paul says, one who preaches from goodwill, from repentance, from grace. Let's be that church that preaches love. Love of neighbor, love of each other, love of the world around us that is dying. If you haven't noticed, if you've been living in a cave for a couple years, the world is suffering. They are struggling. The world needs the gospel. The world needs love. The world does not need any more selfishness and rivalry and envy. The world needs love. So a question that I, as a pastor, get often is, what is God's will for my life? The New City Catechism, which we use with our kids, states this. The first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? 
It says, Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. Body and soul, both in life and death, to God our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the first question they ask in the Catechism because it's the most important. In light of that, how do you know God's will for your life right now? Where are you at? You're here. It's God's will for you to be here because you are here. It's kind of simple. It's God's will for you to be in the home that you're in because you live there. It's God's will for you to be in the job that you have because you work there. It's God's will for you to be in the school that you have, you're in, in that class that you are in, because you're there. It's God's will for you to be married to the spouse that you have, because you're married to them. It's God's will for you to be a price chopper, to overhear the cashiers say, share a struggle that they have at that very moment. And so missions and bearing witness to who God is and what He has done is our task. God calls us to it, proclaiming the gospel through our mouths is the means by which God will save people. You've probably heard of things that where God has you, you are a missionary. Like your vocation, your location, and where you recreation, or do recreation. Not an English major. Or where you live, where you work, and where you play. There are people around you, and they need the gospel. So the question is, what will we do with our circumstances? Will we look up and see those in front of us, the coworker who maybe lost a family member recently, or the professor or teacher who needs to hear the gospel, the family member who doesn't yet know Jesus that needs to have you proclaim the gospel to them, even if we don't like our situation. Remember where Paul was in prison. May we not be, we may not be in jail, but we are where we are. The gas station, the grocery store, along the fence line when your neighbor just has, happens to be outside, your cubicle or on the water cooler, we are where we are and we can proclaim the gospel to the people in front of us. And Paul acknowledges that God uses both our circumstances and our proximity to others to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel advancement comes through proclamation and that comes through preaching and it leads finally to gospel joy. We'll see that in verse 18. Paul says, Oh, what? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul says, So long as the gospel is preached, praise the Lord. Our music is great here. I love it. But if it's bad and the gospel is still preached, it'll be okay. Some of you want an earlier service. Some of you want an afternoon service. Who cares what time it is? As long as the gospel is preached, it'll be okay. Fill in the blank. We all have our preferences. And Lord willing, we will always focus on the gospel. And so long as the gospel is preached, the rest doesn't matter. It's all secondary. 
And so we can praise God like our Apostle Paul has done. So the gospel doctrine, it brings joy. The gospel advancement brings joy. Gospel proclamation brings joy. The gospel being preached brings joy. When people hear and believe in Him, in Jesus, and have faith, like we talked about on Wednesday evening, it's not only for their joy, but it's for ours also. We can see God use His Word to give people new life and bring our efforts to have them have salvation. When I'm reminded of the gospel, it's joy. We saw that in our brother Eric last week, right? We should be the most joyful people because we have a great God who saves us, who saves sinners like you and like me. Christ is and He should be proclaimed by His church. And when He is proclaimed, He can give people eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond. And when we respond as a church and we turn away from our sins, as we talked about repentance this past Wednesday, God is glorified and it is joy for us. When sinners respond to the gospel, when they put their trust in God alone for their salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God is glorified. It's joy for them and it's joy for you as well. I love baptisms because we get to see people turn from their sin and become part of God's family. And Paul says twice in one verse, he rejoices and he will continue to rejoice. Some of your Bibles might have put those words, and I will rejoice, or yes, and I will rejoice in that next paragraph. It's part of this same flowing argument, and it's part of the same reference, and he puts it two times in one sentence for a reason, to emphasize the joy that we should have as God's people. Next week, we will learn about why he's so glad. You might be familiar with the passage. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We have nothing to lose, friends. We must speak up, though, and say something. We need the gospel. The world needs the gospel. The gospel transform, and so let's preach it and let's rejoice together. I've told you that missionaries oftentimes are my heroes. So David Livingston, a missionary in Africa in the early 1800s, or mid-1800s, he says this, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office as this. People often talk about sacrifice, and I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is this a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Anyway, with the word sacrifice, or away with the word sacrifice, rather say it's a privilege, like Chick-fil-A. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to think, sink 
But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory that will be revealed in and for us. He concludes, I have never made a sacrifice. I've never said anything to any of you. But our family hasn't sacrificed to be here. It's our joy to be here. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. It's the shortest verse in all of the Bible other than Jesus wept. In the original language, always means always. But can we acknowledge that always is hard? It's hard for me too. I don't like to rejoice always. But through the power of Christ, I think He can transform our hearts to a heart of gratitude and a heart of joy. We can rejoice always. And we see Him, when we see God for who He is and what He has done, we should rejoice. When we realize He has done so much for us, when we see that we can have contentment in our lives because we have everything in Christ, we can rejoice. We used to tell our kids when they were young that you need to listen and obey right away, all the way, and the traditional way of saying it is with a happy heart. We changed it to a joyful heart. You don't have to always be happy in your listening and saying, but we are called to rejoice and be joyful always. Happiness is an outward expression. It's kind of superficial. But joy is different. Joy wells up within us. Randy Alcorn calls it a deep-seated and enduring affection that endures. And joy and happiness, or as the Bible often calls it, gladness, is in many verses together, especially in the Old Testament. We see this in Esther chapter 8. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Or in Jeremiah, he says, Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry or happy. I will turn their mourn mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness or happiness for sorrow. Or Psalm 92, 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad or happy by your work. At the work of your hand, I sing for joy. Or Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Jesus even picked up on some of this as well in Luke chapter 21, where he's talking about persecution. He know and he knew that would come for his people. Luke 21, starting in verse 12, says, But before all this, they will lay hand, their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Jesus knew that persecution would happen for his people. He continues and he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Kind of like what Paul's doing right now. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you to answer. For I will give you a map of wisdom 
which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand and contradict. What mercy of God to give us the words to say. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your hair will perish. Jesus knows. He cares. And that should give us joy. It's always okay when you're in Christ. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And next week, as I said, we will see this even deeper. Paul says in a couple verses later from our passage, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so, friends, Paul hopes in Christ. He is looking at things he cannot see, and he says it is gain. He gets joy in this. It's his happiness manifested for all to see. And it's deeply rooted in Jesus that all else doesn't matter. G.K. Chesterton says, The atheist sees beauty, but he has no one to thank. And thus, no one is happy. No one to be happy in. The world around us, friends, has no object of joy. We do. Paul in his prison was comfortable. With the scars on his back, he was at peace. Chained to the wall, he has more contentment in his situation than all others hiding behind their earthly pleasures. God is not a resource for our lives like a butler. We need God's word, friends, to remind us of this. We need each other to remind us of this. When we're tempted with the first lie, did God really say? We can say, He did say that. Friends, love your Bible. Gather with each other. Remind each other of what is contained in this book, for it is life. Let's fear God because that is what truly brings us peace and comfort. Psalm 100, and I'll close with this as I invite the worship team back up. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter the gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. And so we, as a church, we will respond now with worship. We will sing to God in joy because He deserves it. We will give of our tithes and offerings in the back or online because He has given us so much. 
And so as we invite the worship team up, we will sing to our great and mighty Heavenly Father for our joy and for His glory. So we rejoice. I will rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given us joy, not of this world, but of heaven, through the gift of your Son, who died in our place on the cross for our sins. And God, we ask that you would give us the courage to tell other people around it, knowing that nothing can happen to us apart from your will. And even if we are to lose our life or suffer for the sake of your name, that that is joy as well, and it's worth it. But God, we acknowledge that that is hard to pray. And so God, would you give us faith to believe that? Would you help our unbelief? And God, we want to worship you now as we rest now in your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.